It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Psy Tech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Hey, nothing like geeking out on God. So what? Really? This is a big news story. The Big Bang didn't happen? Yeah, the science world has been rocked with findings from the James Webb Space Telescope. We've been covering the findings of the telescope here on SciTech Talk for a little while now, but the headlines in the world, the Big Bang wasn't the beginning after all. That's what we're looking at. So the Big Bang, is it causing panic among cosmologists? We're going to take that on. One person who's not panicked about it is Dr. Danny Faulkner. I've already had fun with Dr. Faulkner even before we pressed play on this interview. So you are in for a treat today. He has an MS in physics, a PhD in astronomy. He has published over 100 papers in various journals. His work as a researcher, author, and speaker for Answers in Genesis is very well known. So we're getting some answers today. To life, the universe, and everything. Answers in Genesis time for answers. Dr. Faulkner, thank you for hanging out with me today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome, but I'm glad to be here. So it, the cool street name now for the James Webb tele, Space Telescope is J-West. So J-West. <laughs> I had heard that's good. <laughs> yep, J-West. It's given a spectacular look at the early universe, but an article published by Guy there touting as, well, he's a big bang denier. It's a, so weird in science. We always use that yeah, science denier, climate change denier, whatever. We don't say you're a God denier. I don't know why we don't do that, but they're hailing him as a denier of the big bang, big bang denier, Eric Lehner. And he wrote a book, actually, The Bang Never Happened in 1992. And it caused a ruckus back then. His article is causing a ruckus. And by the way, folks, uh, for those of you who are new to the scientific community, ruckus is the equivalent of riots in the street for the scientific community. So <laughs> it's just short of that. What is it that they saw that is causing this ruckus? Now, by, by the way, I did review Eric Lerner's book back in 1992. Oh, did you? Uh, the 92, yeah, yeah, the 1991 uh, edition came first and then the second edition the following year. I reviewed the first edition. I don't think the second edition changed much. I reviewed it in the Creation Research Society Quarterly. If you want to look it up, they can find what I thought about the book back then. I thought the first chapter was actually a very good summation of problems with the Big Bang current 30 years ago. I didn't like the rest of the book because he was promoting what we call plasma cosmology, which I think is problematic. And it's even as bad as the Big Bang may be for a biblical creationist, the plasma model is even worse. <laughs> so his alternative is not exactly palatable. And I hadn't heard anything from him in quite a while. So I was kind of surprised when his name recently popped up with this, with this article or two that he wrote about the Big Bang. And what he's criticizing is using... The first photos they've gotten from the James Webb, or the J-West, we'll call it J-West, as you brought up. So that telescope was was optimized to work in the far infrared. And this is because they want to look at the most distant uh, galaxies in the universe. And as Hubble found out in 1929, Evan Hubble did, there's a correlation between redshift and distance. Redshift is where the spectrum of, of objects is shifted way over to longer wavelengths. 
And that's interpreted as being ex due to expansion of the universe. And I think it's a good interpretation, probably the best interpretation. I wouldn't want to argue with it, but I want to make it very clear that it is an interpretation. But the Hubble relation, that redshift distance relationship, holds up very well. And so if you want to look at the most distant galaxies, then you have to move over to the infrared to see what would normally be in the visible part of the spectrum. And that's why they optimized it there. And these images they're getting back from this huge telescope are stunning. They show uh, a lot of detail in very distant galaxies. We don't know the redshifts yet. Hopefully they'll measure them. They're estimating from the colors that they're getting. And they're, uh, they're corresponding to distances, in some cases, well over 13 billion light years away. And according to the Big Bang, the universe began in the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. And for a long time, they were saying the way things happened, the Big Bang happened, it was very hot, very bright, very dense, and then it expanded, it cooled and dimmed, and you had this cosmic dark age that, that, that came across where the universe was very dark as it continued to expand. And then maybe a half billion years after the Big Bang, stars began to form, they began to congregate into the bigger groups that eventually amalgamated into galaxies. So they wanted to see what the earliest galaxies looked like. And uh, when they started looking at these images, they realized they were getting complete galaxies as much as 200 million years after the Big Bang, judging by their distance. Remember, they thought that this wouldn't happen before a half billion years. That was a big shock that they were seeing galaxies that fully formed that far back. And I expect that they're going to push that limit even further and further back in time, according to the Big Bang model. They also were finding heavier elements present. We, the Big Bang model says that the universe began with hydrogen and helium and a little bit of lithium. All the other elements, such as the iron in your blood, the calcium in your bones, the oxygen, the nitrogen we breathe every day, and the carbon in our bodies, that was all fused or formed in generations of stars a long time ago. And they thought that took a long time to build up, but they're seeing a lot of those heavier elements way back in the early universe, quote unquote. Again, I put this in quotes because uh -oh. I don't believe in the Big Bang model, but within the Big Bang model, this is problematic. And that's why Eric Lerner is crowing, well, the Big Bang is in trouble. We've disproved the Big Bang. And I think I need to caution him and others. What they've disproved is the current version of the Big Bang model. There you I, go. And I we can look a little deeper and find what what really happened. And let's set the stage because there's a lot to break down in even yeah, things that you is. just said. There's some hard questions to ask, but just for those listening, understanding what the Big Bang is and maybe what it isn't. Big Bang, all the matter and energy from a singular point exploded, expanded, and cooled over billions of years, atoms, stars, galaxies, and all spread out and formed a little later. In a nutshell, the theory suggests that everything happened like a quazillion years ago. Nothing exploded into something and then had a hangover and slowly became the universe. Goo became you. Somewhere along the line, you figured out that you actually were a thing, made a telescope to go out and check it all out and see if your theories are right. That's basically the big thing in a nutshell. But there's this idea that there was, I guess I call it the horizon problem, where there's this expansion and it's just, it exploded and then it chilled out and things formed. But that's essentially what you were talking about. It doesn't look like that really happened because we wouldn't see fully formed planets and entities at the very edge of the universe, so to speak, correct? 
Yeah, within the Big Bang models, I said it's believed that it would take uh, at least a five hundred million years, about a half billion years, for those structures to start showing up. And the estimates are getting now is they're seeing galaxies back. 200 million years after the Big Bang supposedly happened. And not just the building up structure, but fully formed galaxies, with the implication being if they keep looking, they keep searching, they're going to find galaxies even farther back, which means closer to that Big Bang time. And that's what we're talking about here is the model that they've had of how what happens after the Big Bang for the first billion years or so apparently is completely wrong. And that's what they're, they're, they're being torn up at this point. Awkward. Uh, but keep, yeah, keep, keep in mind, though, that the, the, the Big Bang model has been through similar crises in the past. I remember 30 years ago, back in 1991, they got the results from the experiment. It was measuring very precisely for the first time the temperature of the what we call the cosmic microwave background, the CMB. For short, that dates to uh, supposedly a time about 380,000 years after the Big Bang. We're basically looking at a wall of very hot gas, but it's been redshifted to the point that the temperature is only about 2.73 Kelvin. And real temperatures like minus 440 degrees Fahrenheit. It's very cold, but you get this microwave radiation coming in every direction. And get, back in the 70s, they realized that in order to explain the structures we see, galaxies and clusters of galaxies, you had to have slightly more dense regions in order to act as gravitational seeds to attract material in to form these structures. And that would show up in the microwave background as little warmer and cooler spots. And they said the temperature fluctuations would be about one part in 10,000. Now, you're already looking at something that's only 3 Kelvin, so that's 0.003 Kelvin, 0.0003 Kelvin. But when they built this COBE satellite to look for those predicted variations in temperature, it was perfectly smooth. They didn't find any. And it wasn't until later they found it was temperature fluctuations on the port, one part in 100,000. They're off by a factor of 10 <laughs> in their model. So the fix was simply to go back and redo the model to make it fit the observations. So that's just one example. There have been many others where the Big Bang model has been disproved, or at least the version they had. Oh. And instead of scrapping the model, they simply came back and changed certain parameters, certain fa factors in order to get it to fit reality at that point. One of the arguments for the Big Bang, though, some are calling it the Big Bang's best friend, is these cosmic microwave backgrounds that yeah. were discovered in 1964, that they say yeah. that they're like a fossil of radiation that's emitted during the beginning of the universe and because it was hot and dense and such. So they're saying that because of that's a problem for those deniers of the Big Bang, because what do you do with the microwaves? Yeah. Other microwave than make background. popcorn. Yeah, they, yeah, not quite. This was predicted in 1948. Its existence was predicted. They didn't know the temperature, but the existence of it was predicted based on the Big Bang model. At that time, the technology did not exist to look for it, but by the early 1960s, it did exist. And two astronomers named Marlo Penzias and Robert Wilson stumbled across it, quite by accident, actually. And they published it in January of 65. They discovered it in 64. And a dozen years later, they got the Nobel Prize in Physics for this sort of a happenstance discovery because it was proof or evidence, because it was predicted by the model. Now, problematic. One thing you haven't mentioned is they're they really, beyond the COBE, they've had two more orbiting satellites that have really improved upon that data. We know a lot about the structure of it. And they found that there is like a ridge of warmer than average temperatures, like a big bar running across like this, runs for 60 degrees. 
And that would correspond to a huge structure, much larger than they can account for in the Big Bang model. And they haven't a clue within the Big Bang model what it might be. The, the interesting thing is this ridge of warmer than average temperature lines up pretty well with the Earth's orbit around the sun, <laughs> which makes no sense. Why would something that's truly cosmic 13.8 billion light years away line up with the Earth or the solar system like it does? And there's another region called the Great Cold Spot on this thing that in the background radiation that that also is problematic. They can't explain it. It's a cooler region, big, huge air region of space that's way too big to be counted for within the Big Bang. They don't talk about it much. There is a Wikipedia page for both of those if people want to look it up. Or you can go to our website, answersingenesis.org, and I've written a couple of articles about it myself on, on our website about it. It's a big mystery. So even though the CMB... The microwave background is supposed to be the great proof of the Big Bang. They're, the details are a little problematic. But when you get to this point, you said to the science deniers, what do you say about that? And I was asked that question many times. Over the past 30 years, I've given a number of talks critical of the Big Bang. Mm. And I point out the problems with science. And then I also point out the problems with scripture. And I've had Christians who believed in the Big Bang. And there are born-again people who like the Big Bang model. And some friends of mine that do. And they asked me, would ask me when I gave a presentation, well, Danny, if that CMB doesn't come from the Big Bang, what does it come from? And I would tell them, I had a very good answer. I said, I don't know, because <laughs> I didn't. In the last 10 years, I've developed what I think is a cosmology of the Bible. I've published it again on our website, written about it in a couple of books of mine. I believe this thing God made on day two, the expanse of the King James firmament in Hebrew, it's Rachia. It's a separator between the waters above and waters below. I've come to realize that since God placed it, the, the luminaries, the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, in that on day four, that must be what we today would call space, which suggests that there would be water at the edge of the universe. This is really quite crazy because it doesn't really jibe with modern cosmology at all. I'm proposing, based on what I now understand, Genesis chapter one, particularly the day two account and the day four account to a certain point, the universe is finite, it has an edge. And it has a center, and the Earth is probably somewhere close to that center. It doesn't have to be exactly at the center. And at the edge, there's water. And I was writing this up several years ago, and suddenly it occurred to me. I wasn't looking for this, but it suddenly occurred to me that if you've got water out there, water is normal matter, what we call baryonic matter. And all baryonic matter would have temperature, which means it has to emit radiation. And so if this model is correct, if the universe is surrounding the Earth and you've got water out here, then it should be emitting radiation, probably at a very cool temperature because it's redshifted so much at the Hubble relation. And so what we expect to see is a, is a very cool radiation field coming from every direction in space, which is exactly what the CMB is. So I believe the CMB is water from day two that God put up there is radiating toward us. Oh, uh, that's so head cool. <laughs> when you have a faith, Okay. And you look into the scientific realm. There's a few things to keep and in, take into consideration as you're watching, listening, or reading. The Bible is crazy cool in that it has science, scientific ideas that are well beyond the knowledge, the known science 
of its time when others around the world, the scientific, this is what we believe. And if you don't believe it, you're a science denier. I'm sure they used that <laughs> phrase back then that the earth is flat. The Bible talks about it being spherical. So that's an example. The other thing is that the extreme uh, care of the universe, the intelligent design that is just interwoven in absolute everything, everything seemingly set up for life on earth and how congruent it is with the Bible, that's crazy awesome as well. So finally, when you get to this place of faith, you can do much what you're talking about, Danny, is to, the Bible says this, how does that line up with what we know out there in science? And it gets you to ask questions, to poke and to prod at science, to say, okay, what if? And I love that. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, the, uh, this is an exciting time to be alive. We're finding so many wonderful yes. things. You, you, you mentioned, so yeah. And you, you mentioned design that we have, and, I, and I'm very keen upon that. About 25 years ago, they discovered, a little over 25 years ago, they discovered the first exoplanets. These are stars orbiting right. other planets, other stars, excuse me, planets orbiting other stars. And uh, that was just kind of speculation for 400 years or so. It wasn't confirmed until the 1990s. And uh, do you have any idea how many exoplanets are now known? Oh, there's thousands now. Back in the spring, we actually crossed the 5,000 mark. We'll hit 6,000 sometime. And if you would have gone back 30 years ago and asked most scientists, astronomers particularly, well, when we found 5,000 exoplanets, how many would be Earth? I think most of them said, oh, probably hundreds. Hundreds would be because they got to have life out there. The Earth has got to be common. I've looked at these stars, these exoplanets, and I've come to the conclusion that none of them are Earth-like, not one, not even close. Occasionally, you'll hear a story about some possible Earth-like planet, but if you look at it very carefully, that's very optimistic what they're saying. And there are many problems many times with these, if not the planets, the stars are orbiting. Oh, and so consequently, we can't find one that's, when they say Earth-like, we're not talking about someone riding horses and reading novels and going out for picnics. And we're talking about, oh, they may have water on the planet. Oh, there might yeah, be a little bit. That might be nitrogen. So we're not finding any of those. And to me, 5,000 data points, that's time to call this. And I've already <laughs> called it in print. We are alone in the universe. I think the evidence backs that up. And uh, this is what I expected from my biblical-based creation worldview. Now, if you're an evolutionist, you're probably going to squirm with that because you're going to want to insist that, that uh, the Earth-like planets must be common. Otherwise, that makes the Earth unique. And if the Earth is unique, then it's very special. And if it's very special, that drags you right back to creation. And people don't want to go oh, there. You're because... going to cause ruckuses. People are going to be taking <laughs> pencils out of their pocket protector and throwing them across yeah. the room, man. This is getting wild here. You heard it here on My Michelle Live. Danny, there is a... There are a lot of ideas out there, and science should have a lot of ideas, and they should be debated out. We've come in a time where we don't like to have those debates, but that's what makes good science. Now, as we talk about the Big Bang in its traditional definition, you said something a little earlier that alluded to, oh, there was a bang, but not like the Big Bang we know. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think God on day two expanded space as we know it uh, off the earth that's the reason why i think the earth is somewhere near the center 
And if you want to call that a, a bang, that's fine with me because <laughs> it was a very rapid expansion. God had to get the water out there and had to get the space out there all within one day. So you're talking 13.8 billion light years distance all done in less than a day. That's pretty fast. So yeah, there's this rapid expansion, if you will, that took place around the earth on day. Beyond that, I don't think too many comparisons to Big Bang, however. <laughs> okay. What do you think did happen at the very beginning. It is absolutely illogical that nothing came, something came from nothing. We haven't been able to see at any other time in all of known history, in any scientific experiment, where nothing created something. So something happened. And if you're talking about a biblical model, what does that look like if you're talking to someone of a scientific mind. Oh boy, science can't even begin to probe that. You see, creation by its very nature is supernatural. It it breaks but yet all the it rules. It is natural. You know? We're looking at it. So there's what, got what, to be a balance what, in there. What, what comes afterwards is natural. Okay. But the supernatural is you have a period of time you, you, you ostensibly there was nothing and then there was something. Well, that would violate what we call the first law of thermodynamics, the conservation of energy and also mass since matters and energy are convertible forms. And uh, right away, we're running into a problem. If the universe popped into existence, it would, uh, it would do violating one of the most fundable, fundamental properties of the universe. How does that happen? Now, they try to argue quantum fluctuations and such, but that's really a perversion or misunderstanding or misapplication of some quantum mechanical things. I think, physically speaking, the universe is indeed a mystery. I like to point out to people, the origin of the universe, I like to point out to people that the sudden appearance of the universe would violate the first law of thermodynamics. So the universe could not have come into existence, which means it always existed. But the second law of thermodynamics says that energy is becoming less and less useful. If the universe has always existed, then the universe would have met what's called maximum entropic state already. No useful energy whatsoever. We look around us and we see that's not the case. Yeah. And so that tells us the universe could not have existed forever. Right away, these two laws, which work hand in glove today, are now butting heads when it comes to the origin of the universe. Collectively, I think that tells us that the universe did not have a physical or natural origin. I think it's a supernatural agent that had to had to intervene to make that happen. And if you look at the way creation is described, you get non-living things suddenly, non-living things suddenly, living things exist. We have light suddenly existing where it didn't exist before. We have matter and energy existing where we have before. Everything in the creation week is miraculous. So, as a scientist, can I probe? Can I study the creation, the, the creation process? And the simple fact of the matter is, I can't, because we use the way that the world now operates to try to figure out how the world operates. And this gets to Hebrews 1, 3 and Colossians 1, 16 and 17, where it speaks of the creator upholding the creation by the power of his word. And he does this in a very consistent pattern. And we see this pattern playing out again and again. And one of the working hypotheses of science as it developed four centuries ago was that there's a God who created everything. He's a God of, of order and a God of decrees. So maybe there's a consistent pattern in the way that the world operates. And they were looking for that. That's what Kepler was talking about, thinking God's thoughts mm -hmm. after him. Yeah. We're just seeing this pattern that we expect from a creator God, we find in the Bible. Other systems of religion don't anticipate that at all, really. It's a uniquely Christian thing. And we tend to think of natural phenomena, physical laws, as just 
being a given that it always happens. But if you really understand what those two passages I quoted to you in Hebrews and Colossians, it tells us that there's actually supernatural going on upholding it all. It's just that God chooses to do it in a consistent manner. But even moment by moment, in the physics we see, that's actually a direct intervention of God. It's not uh, just one of those things that happens. And if God stopped intervening and stopped sustaining at that point, I don't know what would happen. I suspect the universe would cease to exist. Maybe that will be, that's going to be what happens when there's a destruction of this heaven and earth, as Second Peter chapter 3 talks about. It's talking about this roar of a, as if by a fire. I think maybe just God says, okay, I'm done, and he restrains himself from sustaining anymore, and the entire universe is swept away and then be recreated to have a new heaven and a new earth. Danny, we do see a, a, a surprising harmony between science and scripture. Sometimes there's headbutting, but that's because science is never really settled, as we've heard that term. It's settled science. Science yeah. is never settled. It needs to be poked. <laughs> it needs to be prodded. <laughs> if we were doing settled science, there would be a lot of ways we would still be backwards. And we've discovered so much, and it only happens because brave people challenge things. But we do see that the Bible has a surprising harmony. Are there other ways that you see through scripture things in science that are just jazzing you? One thing I've thought about is in Job, it speaks of Orion, the bounds of Orion and the Pleiades being bound. And I've got to be careful. Job is a poetic book. And there's a lot of allusions there, a lot of non-physical things. And Job is unique in the poetic books. It's got unique in scripture. It's got a lot of things that are not found anywhere else in the Hebrew Old Testament. But it's interesting. We, we do this thing in some of these, uh, we have a stargazers program we do here okay. at the Edges of Genesis. And on cloudy nights, we can't go to the observatory. So we, we go in the planetarium and we do a, a really jazzed up show in there. And our grand finale, what we do is we, we point out the belt of Orion and the Pleiades. They're, we can mark them with the little lines in the sky. And we read that passage to people in Job. And then we can, with the magic of the planetarium, we can, the software actually, we can crank all the motions of the stars a million years into the future. And stars go flying everywhere, but yet the belt of Orion hangs together. It moves, but it hangs together. And the Pleiades move, but they hang together. You can still recognize them. A million years from now, you'll be able to recognize them. Nothing else in the sky holds together like that. And we, we say, maybe we can help you put up these patterns for the constellations. And when we do, it's just a lines going everywhere, intersecting. It's a jumbled up mess. Everybody laughs. And we run it back backwards, back to in time, back to today. And everything comes together at the, right at the very end. And it's just interesting that the only two things in the sky that maintain their identity throughout time are the belt of Orion and the Pleiades. And it's the only things mentioned in Scripture that somehow are being bound together. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly what that passage means, but to me, it's striking. <laughs> yeah. And whoever wrote Job would, you know, was got very lucky, or he had a, a lot of help involved in what he, what he was doing. Mm, little divine intervention, huh? There you go. <laughs> a little play to the inerrancy of Scripture. Science really has exploded in the last 20 years, and the Jay West is no exception. Um, it does seem to be like as though God is revealing himself more and more, even in science. it's It becomes harder and harder to deny a creator. It becomes harder and harder to look at 
who that creator might be, his characteristics, fingerprints that you see in in creation, for example. So I wanted to just take these last this last minute and let you address that because people maybe the light's coming on and it points that light shines on the gospel in my opinion and i know you share that opinion with me yes the heavens do declare god's glory and i think the world around us just shouts creation as as romans 1 19 and 20 tells us if you if people hearing me agree with everything i said about god creating the world but it stops there then you've missed the entire point the entire focus of scripture is the redemptive work of, is of god's son jesus christ on the cross that is sums it all up you know if you miss that then you, you miss the most important thing because salvation is the most important thing and we can find salvation only through uh, the substitutionary death and resurrection of the lord jesus christ and only through faith in him and repentance can we come to true salvation and being righteous with god and that is the God story. Even in all of the geekiness of science, the cool findings of J-West, the web telescope, and all the great things we talked about today, if you miss that story, then you're missing the greatest story that's ever been told, the greatest find in all of academia. It's right there, and it's the gospel. And we've gotten to talk about it today with the one and only Danny Falter, Dr. Faulkner, thank you for hanging out with me today. It has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you. And for you who are watching, listening, or viewing, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Spread that God story. God bless you. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com.